for being a little congested uh take a look at these allergy readings out here in chattanooga i know people are suffering all over the place but take a look these are off the charts it's like a 10.1 and this is what's killing me like when i came down here from boston i thought i'd be dead because i heard the allergies were super bad out here and for the most part they're not except right now this time of year because we got maple maple is going nuts right now and to make matters worse that insult to injury like take a look at what this is like take a look at what's in your nose and what's in your eyeballs this spiky plant sperm that is making everybody miserable and when you look at it under a microscope it, it kind of makes sense because my eyes are killing me i'm on a litany of drugs i got the zeditor in my eyeballs i got flonase up the schnoz i got 10 milligrams of uh, claritin down the gullet <sighs> but even before the show like i was back there i'm yelling to the tv team cut me mick cut me because my eyes were like crusted shut like booger crusted shut and here they are just ripping them open so i can see and bring this show to you so thank you guys i appreciate it Speaking of the show today, we got a lot happening with FreightWave's editorial director, Rachel Premack. She's celebrating a one-year anniversary. We're going to talk about this past year in chaos because some of the fruits of it, especially that trucking bloodbath, are starting to come home to roost. Also, her hatred of uh, big ships and all that kind of stuff. Speaking of anniversaries, super trucker Justin Martin, he also is celebrating his one-year anniversary, and to do so, he's going to be talking about the worst truck stop bathrooms in America. We'll also find out if you can get ticketed for driving around with an unmade bed. Drivers who've been stranded after another trucking company shut down, rush hour iPhone heists, and more. Freight, they just raised $7 million to expand Midwest Last Mile Services. We'll meet their co-founder and CEO, Luke uh, Luke Denny, who shares how his team plans to revolutionize Final Mile. For some reason, I want to say Luke Perry. I think it's uh, all these allergy medications I'm on. I'm having like flashbacks to 90210 up here. Anyways, Banyan Technology CEO Brian Smith, he shares his philosophy on digital transformation, discusses how to deploy these strategies at scale. So let's get to it. Let's tip the band. Your customers and investors want to know that your company is serious about sustainability. Show them the depth of your commitment when you rely on AIT Worldwide Logistics for your freight forwarding needs. From Scope 3 carbon footprint reporting to calculating emissions at a transaction level, partnering with AIT sends a clear message to stakeholders. You mean business when it comes to sustainability. Learn more at AITWorldwide.com. But now, let's learn a little or something or two from our editorial director at Freightways. It's Rachel Premack. Hey, Rachel. Hey, how are you? She's muted. Let's bring her up. Let's unmute the Rachel. Are you muting yourself? No. Okay, now I hear her. See, the guys in the back had you muted. You sound great, though. Guys, don't do that to Rachel. She sounds fantastic. We need to hear her. Okay, I'm here. I'm here. I'm sorry you have allergies, by the way. Are are you a sufferer? You know, I thought maybe I'd be able to escape this in the Northeast, but the maple is, is down here, too. I am usually a sufferer. I think there are just no trees in New York, so I'm totally fine. Like I used, like back home in Michigan, I would always get really bad allergies. I think I was like dying, but it turns out, oh right, it's allergy season. I'm not dying. Uh, but no, in New York, I don't really get allergies, and I really think it's just because there are no trees here, or there's like four trees for every 500 people, essentially. Well, I envy you. I envy you, Rachel, but. You know why I may not envy is Secretary Pete. You put out an article and you said the wonks 
have given him mixed reviews. My first question is, what is a wonk? <laughs> the wonk is just, you know, an expert, someone who's, you know, in Washington, in the, in someone who's part of the establishment, basically. Okay. Well, what are these wonks saying about Secretary Pete? Yeah, so I focus on um, those who are port directors, though who those who work really closely with uh, our nation's largest ports, and I definitely got mixed reviews. So uh, some folks, especially Gene Soroka, the executive director of the Port of Los Angeles, he uh, you know had nothing but praise for the Department of Transportation and how they handled the 2021 supply chain crisis. Other port directors were a little bit more hesitant. Some one said, "Oh, you know, we really worked more with the Department of Agriculture to set up uh, the pop-up terminals that we use to keep keep freight flowing." Another said, "Yeah, they were helpful during the 2021 supply chain crisis, but now that's no longer in the headlines. Uh, we." had issues trying to work with them to get the funding we need for future projects. And that seems to be the key that a lot of uh, transportation wonks, dare I say, are concerned of isn't just so much how we respond to the crisis as the crisis is happening, but also how do we prepare and try to mitigate the eventual, the inevitable next crisis. So like if I were to say there's a conspiracy theory that we intentionally put people in that position to fail. Would there be any truth in that? It seems like a lot of times we're appointing people who don't necessarily have a background in transportation. Yeah, no, that, that that's definitely an interesting, I don't know if I'd say it's conspiracy theory exactly, but, uh, you know, Judge is absolutely the most uh, well-known member of Biden's cabinet, except for, you know, Vice President Kamala Harris, uh, who is technically a member of the cabinet. But it's, it's certainly an, an interesting kind of situation because i think most people who watch politics would say okay you know he was put in this cabinet role as sort of a way to test his mettle in the larger national scheme it wasn't really supposed to be one of those positions to really you know drag him in the headlines or or, or what have you and it's kind of had the opposite effect especially you know looking more at conservative media or even really progressive media they've really uh look closely at Judge's performance and his response to certain crises and say that, you know, it's, it's underwhelming or not up to snuff. Interesting. Well, you know, Rachel, I mentioned that it's your one year anniversary and on April 14th, 2022, you put the, put the article out truck drivers are facing another bloodbath. Uh, Tanner DeHart, he tweeted this yesterday. Take a look at this little chart here. It says tough weekend for trucking. Saw several posts about there not being any freight on the boards. Thursday and Friday leading into Easter, spot rates dropped five cents over the weekend leading into Monday. Now at 225 a mile, largest single day drop since we started tracking. Let's talk about this, Rachel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just that sort of like drastic drop off is definitely something that would obviously affect a lot of drivers. That's something that is really just shows how bad the industry has gotten. It's interesting because we, you know, at FreightWaves and, you know, across kind of the, the media landscape, we started calling what's happening a trucking bloodbath, you know, last year around this time. And, or, you know, started calling for the idea that a bloodbath or a recession was going to come to the industry. And some might say, oh, well, it only started now. It only started this year. And I think, you know, looking 
closely at um, what you know owner operators have faced. That's certainly been something that they've been struggling with since last year, especially you know looking at higher diesel rates. It seems like now the costs have moderated somewhat. Diesel is not quite as crushingly high as it was last year, but the pay has dropped even more. So that's really going to be affecting. You know, your small guys, owner operators, small fleets, and even some of these large public fleets. You know, since last year, they've been they've been talking about how this uh, push in cost and uh, decrease in pay has has really been harming them. Yeah, I think if you if you're under the impression that this this just started recently, you that's a tell that you don't <laughs> talk to owner operators and you don't yeah. talk to truck drivers out there because they've been reporting this stuff to us. All year long last year, coming into now. Yeah, it's getting worse now. But these issues have been stemming for over a year ago. All this volume has been falling out of the top. All this capacity has been racing. And the end result has been some really, really challenging spot rates. And you mentioned the the, the one sort of salvation here is at least fuel has gotten a little bit cheaper. Parts have gotten a little bit more available. But really, that also depends. It depends on what you need. Yeah, exactly. It's it's interesting because we actually are still seeing an increase of new fleets uh, entering the industry, but that's outweighed by the amount of those exiting the industry. And the reason that some are now entering the industry is just because it is now a little bit cheaper to open up your own trucking firm. I don't know if most experts would suggest getting into the market right now, even though it is you know, a somewhat cheaper time compared to last year or the year before to enter the trucking industry. But that is still being outweighed by the amount of firms exiting the, the industry. Well, here's an idea, too, of just how fragmented this, this this business is and how these trucking companies go under. Not not everything is Celadon, right? So not everything is going to be that big, flashy headline. A lot of times, it's these very small trucking companies, like my buddy Super Hustle, I know, who contacted me over the weekend and was like, hey, our trucking company shut down. They lied to us. They left us in the lurch. I'm going to talk to, to Super Trucker a little bit about that later, but there's a lot of companies in that smaller category that are extremely exposed to this right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Freight Waves and especially Clarissa Hawes and, and uh, you know, what, what the truck has been reporting on these past few weeks. It is definitely a lot of these firms that are more, you know, a few dozen drivers, not really that, like you mentioned, those big headlines like Celadon where it's thousands or many hundreds of, of truck drivers. So, yeah, so I guess I guess it's not really quite that same headline effect, but at the same time, that's still, when you think about the industry, most of these companies are really small fleets. So if we start to see more and more of those going bankrupt, that is still affecting lots and lots of people. And we are starting to see some of those larger fleets start to go under as well. Uh, you know, we recently reported on flagship transport, which has 455 drivers. They are, you know, filing for bankruptcy. Freightworks in North Carolina, they have 140 drivers uh, in, the, in the past month. They said that they are shutting down. So we are starting to see some of those larger fleets. But it, what's important to note is that a lot of these fleets, especially, you know, these larger mid-sized fleets, they do still have a fair amount of cash saved up from 2020, 2021, beginning of 2022 that has helped them weather a lot of the storm but at a certain point their cash reserves are getting drawn down they might not be able to uh go on anymore let's talk about something you hate big ships the port side peeing contest has not abated 
In fact, it seems like every week I see a new steamship line bragging that they have the biggest ship and it has a few more TUs than some other 24,000 behemoth. Tell me about your hatred of big ships. Yeah, so this was one of my uh, favorite articles I've written since joining Freight Waves. Definitely caused the splash, you know, got some got some haters off of this one. But basically the idea is that these ships, and we've seen this, you know, in other forms of, you know, in other industries as well. These ships are getting bigger and bigger. The ports are not increasing at the same size or at the same rate. And at a certain point, the ships are so big that, it's not really economical to unload them or load them or really deal with them in any way. And so it's this economies of scale thing where you think, okay, I can have the same or roughly the same crew size, the same ish amount of fuel or a similar amount of fuel to move a 24,000 TU ship compared to two 12,000 TU ships. I can just do that way more effectively and that's all true until you get to the port itself, and then you realize that no port, at least in the U.S., has been able to keep up with this sort of, you know, this sort of race to make to make these ships bigger and bigger. I think in China and Europe is that's where we're often seeing a lot of these like mega ships of like twenty four thousand plus EUs. Um, and in the U.S., we tend not to see those those giant ships as much, but. It's certainly a strange trend, and we also do see it on the, in the rail world as well, where trains get longer and longer, and there are all these unintended issues that come up with that. So my word of caution is just to approach economies of scale with some everything in moderation, including but, moderation, but I mean, everything you, in moderation. You make a point. I mean, the freight, the freight theorists out there, I remember when this topic came up, they they. They, they were, it's counterintuitive maybe to some people, but they were like, hey, the 24,000 ship obviously can carry more stuff and it'd be more efficient to unload. But we know some people who actually work the ports, stock workers. So we asked them, we're like, is that, is that true? What works better? And they said the big problem with these, um, and not like Port of LA can even receive those, but uh, they're the guys we know at Port of LA were like, of the largest ones we can receive, the biggest problem is they take up extra bays so you can bring in mm-hmm. less ships and it doesn't necessarily work any more efficiently or quickly. That's why they hate those. And obviously that boat has to stay at the port longer if it's more inefficient to get it unloaded, to get it back on the water. So a lot of that plan that they were talking about doesn't necessarily come to fruition just the bigger you make it. The bigger doesn't always make it better. Now, the other issue that that has kind of fallen out of the news because we have short attention spans is the rail, right? Remember after Ohio, every day you'd see like a new train strike and that's kind of died down. People aren't sharing that kind of stuff anymore. But what's going on with the rail? Are they, are they getting any safer? Is, uh, you know, Norfolk Southern just kicking the ball down the road? Yeah, so there's one Senate bill right now that hopes to address uh, a lot of the safety issues that rail workers have been asking for and that, you know, those at the Federal Rail Administration and the Surface Transportation Board have been talking about. That includes increasing the number of wayside hop-off detectors, which can detect whether or not a train is, you know, overheating or a bearing on a train is overheating. Uh, That includes... uh, requiring that there are two crew members on each train. That's another thing that a lot of, a lot of workers have been, have been demanding as, as uh, these rail companies look to reduce the number of, of workers per train. Um, the other thing is that the, a lot of these companies have been working with their specific unions to enshrine some of these stick day policies. So that was the big fight 
during the union battle last year around sick days and you know better better quality of life measures in general and that's something that you know slowly one by one a lot of these companies have been able to work with their specific unions to uh make make these sick day policies part of their part of their uh policies very cool well rachel congratulations on one year you've covered so many different sides of the supply chain. For those of you who don't follow her newsletter, go to freightways.com slash modes, subscribe there. And she now has a show that you can catch on Thursdays. I believe it's bi-weekly, right? So twice a week? I mean, twi- yeah. tw- twice a month. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And even if, if you missed the one the week before, you can watch it the week after and you can get it wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, it's uh, relatively evergreen, even though it deals with the... Uh, the issues yeah. at the forefront, but they're heavy ones. They're the kind that can't get cleared out in like a couple days, right? Exactly. Exactly. A couple years even. All right. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations once more. And I'm going easy on you. I'm not even giving you like trivia or stupid question because it's your birthday. Well, not, I mean your work birthday. I was, I was, I was kind of looking forward to it, but okay, fine. That's, well, that's all right. I'll spin, all right. I will, uh, by demand, I'll okay, spin it. All right. I'll spin it. I hope I can read my handwriting. Uh, what's your... What? I don't know. I can't even read my hand. Hold on a second, Rachel. I'm like, what is my, uh, oh, okay. Rachel, what historical event would you have loved to see in person? Oh, I don't know. It's funny because I was a history major, but I feel like most of the historical events I studied were bad. I don't know if I'd really want to witness any of them. Maybe I want to witness the Gilded Age, but not as like, a normal person as like an extremely rich person that would be fun to be like a lumber baron or or something during the gilded age or a lumber baroness i guess um that's the first one that comes to mind maybe i should have skipped the question Uh, that's good enough it's very interesting to know about the gilded age rachel thank you so much for your time i appreciate it take care all right we are not in the gilded age we're now in the robot age take a look at this meanwhile these are over at MIT, by the way. They're a little bit smaller than the usual dogs you see, but you're going to see here they're a lot more frightening because they're incredibly agile. Oh, God. Like, look at that. Now, these don't have guns on their back yet, but, like, imagine this thing with a gun on its back. Or just, like, a camera. Remember we saw that one at the receiving facility? They were checking out truckers with these things. There's a scene coming up here too where they hide a bunch of that. Like it's absolutely frightening. They hide a bunch of them in leaf piles, and they come springing out like they're, like they're ambushing you in the middle of an attack. I mean, how many of these do you think you could take at once? Even one? I was looking at like the schematics online, and if you get chased by a pack of these, apparently underneath, like on their here they come. Look, look at that. So you see something like that. You're walking around at night through, like, Boston Common, and one of those flips out at you with this soccer ball. Just get underneath them. I believe there's a battery under there. Pull forward and then pull down. And uh, this is probably, like, a federal offense telling you this, but just pull forward and pull. This is what I put on the line here. Pull forward and pull down and get away from those dogs. Uh, but not all tech is bad, and sometimes you got to go through a digital transformation. Hopefully not as scary as those dogs. So let's talk to Brian Smith, CEO at Banyan Technology, a little bit about that very subject. Brian. Thanks for coming on the show. Dooner, thanks for having me. <laughs> what do you think of those dogs? Do you have any running around the uh, Banyan office? I don't know. I, yeah, no, not yet. And not looking forward to having that around. I, 
I'm with you. I don't think I want to run into a pack of those at night. So I think I'm, age, I'm aging out of the, the robot dog acceptance uh, population here in the U.S. I'm, I'm right there with you. For those who don't know, what is uh, what's Banyan? Banyan, Banyan Technology. We have uh, we've been around a little while and um, reinvented ourselves a few times. We are a data platform within the over the road portion of logistics. So basically, we are a conduit. Uh, between shippers and 3PLs and the carriers themselves and providing data at critical, let's say, touch points throughout the um, transaction process from rating all the way through to invoicing and and really end-to-end. And, um, you know, sometimes we like to describe ourselves a lot of words around big data, and we like to say we do small data really well. Uh, with a ba- under the backdrop of big data. Yeah, I was going to ask so, you that. What is your philosophy on digital transformation in supply chain? Let's start there. How do you, how do you think about it? How should we be thinking about it? Well, um, I, think we, I think we all need to be thinking about leading edge without being bleeding edge. There's, there's other folks out there that are really paving the way for us and path um, you know, I, I'm sure we all are well aware of AI and, um, you know, we need to have an eye on AI. But today, while we're figuring that out, we should be very focused on business intelligence. Right. And what we're all looking for is the right piece of data at the right time to be able to make that decision throughout the day. And, it, and it's everywhere from somebody negotiating with a carrier all the way down to execution at the dock level if you really think about it, it is just down to that micro piece of data. And what do I need to make the best decision at the time, right? Depending on those circumstances and, and the human element is still and will be significant. And our job behind the scenes is to put that data in front of you either on screen or through alerts so you can react to it appropriately. Um, data transformation. Absolutely. It's here. Um, I, I hesitate to even say it's coming. Uh, you know, we're all going to be walking around TIA or a good number of us um, and our 3PL partners next week. And um, um, it is going to be, you know, throughout the theme of most sessions and certainly most of the folks being there. So um, it's here. It's here to stay. That's for sure. You made a great point. Before you can scale or even utilize technology, you got to identify the data, right? You got to identify what you're exactly you're trying to scale. How do your partners figure that out? How do they how do they go on that journey? How do they even start? Well, there's there's a couple of things. So from our client partners, it it really is what's their niche, what's their expertise, right? And then then you break down within their organization um, the key elements, the key components, and and really, um, you know, we say this so many times: COVID and supply chain constraints taught us so much, right? And if you think about how much more aware we are today at different points in the supply chain that we need to be aware of certain aspects, right? Nobody really talked about visibility concerns five years ago, and and now it's a, you got to have it to play. Um, on the technology side, you know, it's, um, and this is the tough, this is the really tough part for um consumer of logistic services and, and in our case over the road is is the challenge is, is partnering with the right people, right? We're all making bets on um, AI partners and um, 
you know, execution partners and then back-end audit partners. And, um, and that's a tough part, right? That's, that is the, that's a tough part for manufacturers, shippers, distributors, uh, 3PLs, um, is, is finding the right, the right partner, the right set of partners. And um, so what Bandon tries to do is be that neutral component in the middle to say, hey, depending on, on what your needs are, we have access to multiple partners in all areas and allow you to find the right partner, but have a, a central place and ecosystem, so to speak, to connect to those partners. And that's what we spend our time on. So a big temptation right now, and we're seeing everyone kind of do it, is because of the prominence of chat GPT is to bolt on some AI solution or bolt on some marketing AI solution to say yep. that you're you're doing that. Where, where in your opinion, where are we with, with using AI meaningfully in the supply chain? I think there is, um, um, I think marketing is, for, for us, me included, is probably the easiest application. Um, <laughs> I think, um, yeah. I I think we're going to get a lot smarter over the next three to five years and the difference between BI and AI. I think uh, a lot of us along this journey are going to find that BI is more than adequate over the next three, three to five years to advance. Um, and we're going to need, you will likely need one or two key AI relationships. You won't need a lot, um, but you'll need more business intelligence relationships. Um, so kind of almost a two to one, three to one. Um, there's some, I think there's some really cool digestible things out there now uh, in the marketplace um, with some money going into AI. Um, eventually, do I think it's going to touch uh, all areas? I, I do. Um, and, and certainly I'm, I'm not alone in that. Um, I think, I think AI is here to stay. I think it's going to help us make well in advance uh it, it was going to guide us to carrier solutions, who we should be negotiating with. Um, and then once it starts to guide us, it's really BI that's going to give us the intelligence to have those discussions and to kind of drive those meaningful reports and decisions. Um, it, it's a very, very exciting time. Well, here's what everyone cares about. Digitizing, going on this journey, going through tech. What kind of ROI are your customers seeing? What kind of return on investment? How is it impacting them? Um, the most digitizing is the, the ROI is very effective. Um, I, I do find that, um, you know, where we are, where we're able to streamline the, the human element, the human involvement. Um, and, and again, the technology is, is there, uh, there's a little bit of, you know, you've seen the, the fighting over the, the land grab and, you know, eventually, uh, are truck drivers going to have 13 apps on their phone? Absolutely not, right? There's just like in any industry, there's going to be a handful of winners, um, certainly in the ELD space, et cetera. So it's kind of a race to that land grab. And you, you'll you hear it um, uh, seen under consolidation, right? We'll talk about consolidation in the industry. Well, really it is, you know, what is consolidation in some of these newer technologies? It's really acknowledging the winners and um, and then the, you know, merging, so to speak, to have that that win there overall. Um, specifically on the digit, digitization front, um, you know, I think one of the quiet aspects we've seen is what happens in 
first final mile. And we've seen a lot of advancements in the ability to execute on first final mile transactions. And a lot of, a lot of that is taking a very labor intensive area of over the road shipping and digitizing it. And now you have access literally to tens of thousands of carriers that we didn't even know exist. And you can do that all electronically now. And you're going to get the same uh, experience, the same digital experience as far as dispatching, acknowledgement, receipt of documents, et cetera, in the first final mile market throughout the country that you're going to get from the largest carriers in the country. And so it's those type of wins over time. Um, today, it's expected. Five years ago, it didn't exist. And to some degree, we wake up and go, wow, there really has been this transition. So it's really cool stuff. Well, I, I'm, I'm sure an ice guest was his, his ears perked up when he heard you say final mile is where the, the high ROI is going in tech because uh, that's what they specialize. And I, I appreciate you coming on the show today. People who want to learn more about Banyan, where do I send them to? Oh, please come to BanyanTechnology.com and we'd be loved. We would love to share with you kind of who we are and um, how we can help you out. Brian, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you coming on the show. Okay, sir. Thanks for having me. Take it easy. All right. Did you know AIT Worldwide Logistics plans to reach net zero emissions by 2035? That's five years before the date targeted by the Climate Pledge and 15 years in advance of the Paris Agreement's goal. But that's just one part of their overall commitment to corporate social responsibility. Whether it's protecting the planet, nurturing the communities where we live and work, or ensuring high-quality business continuity, AIT is taking action to deliver a better tomorrow. Learn more at AITWorldwide.com. All right. Elsewhere. That is, that's much better than those other dogs. I'll take the real dogs anytime. <laughs> Let's look at him again. That, is, that was an impressive jump, though. He came out of nowhere. Although I'll give the Golden some credit, too, from a standing leap. Not terrible. I wonder if Luke Denny could do that. He's the co-founder and CEO over at Frat, but I've never... Frat? Freight! <laughs> I wonder if he's ever done a standing jump like that before. Luke, welcome to the show. Dooner, thanks for having me. Good to be here. That that golden did like that combine style jump where you just go from like standing position onto something way higher. That's kind of how I feel about uh, summer right now. I'm ready to just, you know, dive right in like that that retriever was doing. It's, it's almost here. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I mentioned I kind of gave a little hint towards what you guys are all about, but you're in the final mile sector. But for those who don't know, and even, you know, it's funny. It's like when uh, someone gets like the Oscar or the, sorry, the Grammy for best new artist, but they've really been playing like, you know, the clubs and they've been out there for, for years. Like you've been around for six years, but you just had a big raise and now your name is back out there. So to so people who may not know, what's Freight? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the intro. So Freight is a Uber of delivery, if you will. So we're a marketplace platform where we have shippers on the one side, and then thousands of drivers on the other side. So we currently have upwards of 15,000 owner-operator drivers across the United States in about 32 major markets today, all with vehicles anywhere from a small sedan all the way up to a 26-foot box truck. And they do deliveries, anything from tires to paint to consumer goods to flooring. Um, and the specialty of our marketplace is that it's very high tech. And so we can provide uh, access to drivers very quickly. Typically, our average acceptance time is about one minute. Um, and it's, it's all about empowering ownership. 
with these drivers. So that, again, they're all owner operators. We have direct relationships with every one. And it's all about empowering these entrepreneurial type spirited drivers to build their own business. And we do that today with our marketplace. Well, how about yourself? So six years ago, your entrepreneurial spirit got ignited and this idea came to your head and you said, I, I got to go and do this. Take me back. How did like, tell me the story. Yeah. So I, I got to give credit to one of my co-founders. It, it was a story of where, you know, it, it was a classic. They're trying to get new carpet in their house uh, and the store has the carpet available, but they can't get the delivery done until the end of the week. And so, you know, he's there going, look, I know there's Sprinter van drivers out there that have extra capacity that if there's some way I could create a three-way tier here, you know, we could make this happen where I can get my carpet today. Uh, that driver can get work, you know, and that business gets an Amazonian type effect uh, through my platform. So that was that was where it was birthed. And we started by doing it specifically with cargo and Sprinter vans. That was kind of our niche coming into this. And since we expanded into all vehicle types and into, you know, quite a few different markets. But that was that was how the idea birthed. Well, how did you grow it? Because that, that's how, how did you convince people to jump on this new platform? And I'm sure everyone's had this trouble. And there's so many times I talk to freight tech founders and freight founders, and it's usually it usually comes because of some inconvenience they had in their life. And they're like, there has to be a better way. Well, Amazon's done a great job in basically trailblazing you know, the experience that we all want. And that has gone, you know, away from just consumers in general into all different aspects of businesses. You know, whether it's things like store-to-store transfers and allowing retailers to keep their inventory light, whether it's for, you know, construction companies or pro contractors with their teams out in the field that need parts or additional material or equipment quickly, you know, we can provide that by getting them that part of that equipment within half an hour to an hour. So it's all about speed to value. And it's it's been a slow adoption. COVID definitely helped with some of that. But it's still, there's a lot of adoption that's still being done. And it's our job just to show how we can provide this Amazon tech effect into all all areas of different businesses. So, you know, it's it's no secret that this hasn't been the easiest environment, especially in venture capital. Yet you're out here, you're announcing that you, you raised 7 million. What's it like raising funding in this environment? And how did you go about raising funding? It's, it's never been easy for us. Um, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, back in the summer of 2022, whether it was, you know, two years ago, it, it's, it's always been a challenge raising funds and convincing VCs that we have a model that's built to last and it's going to be, um, you know, one of the brands that surfaces to the top. What we were able to do is provide unit economics over time that were attractive because as everybody has seen, the VC era has shifted from a grow at all cost model to really emphasizing sustainability and profitability. And that's something that we focused on early so that by the time this this focus shifted and VCs were looking for long-term type brands, uh, we offered that. So that was that was part of what got us, you know, our deal last year um, that we just announced here uh, this week. But um, the other the other component too is we are working on new products, 
and we've got a new product that I can't go into it in super detail. We haven't we haven't done a release for it yet, and it's still in the works. But we're basically trying to empower drivers to serve the small business local delivery arena uh, with a direct direct platform. You know, it's probably a good thing to see some of these values get a little measured in that whole idea, especially in freight tech of like unicorning at all cost, uh, you know, at all reason. But it probably is going to leave some of these companies in a bad place. So getting a more sensible value, I would feel much more comfortable with a sensible valuation in 2023 than like, for example, I just raised in 22 or 21 at maybe like five times, seven times, 20 times multiple, where yeah. you're just not going to be able to get a buck back. So what do you do with the money now? How do you scale this this business? And how do you scale your partners? Yeah. And, and even to your point, you know, even being able to tell some of our customers and partners you know, we're, we're not going anywhere. We're here for the long run. You know, it's just giving them more surety, you know, that, that we've got something that's built to last. So uh, to answer your question, we're using the money to uh, build out our development team because we need to enhance our current products and we are building uh, some brand new products that we're very excited about. So we've basically doubled our development team since January. Uh, additionally, I've had the pleasure of bringing on some leadership team members and today we're actually having our uh, leadership kickoff week and getting them ramped up. And uh, we've got a VP of sales, a VP of marketing, VP of partnerships, and we're, we're going to go at it. We're going to show this market that freight's here. You have any like unique hazing rituals or something that you, that you plan to do during <laughs> this bonding experience? No, I did put the paddles away for, for this week. <laughs> Probably a good idea. It's hard, hard to get away with that stuff in 2023. Well, what is, what's the hardest problem to solve in your space? What is your, your white whale? For us, I, I truly believe it's about building a quality driver network. And I think to do that, it's all about empowering these drivers to where, you know, the drivers want to come to you versus you having to go out and find them. And part of the ways we've been doing that is trying to stick with a focus in verticals that we know what drivers will drive for at the right price points, and also uh, empowering them with features that are also hard to find out there. For example, we pay our drivers out within 12 hours, uh, so there's no additional pay to them. Uh, they, once they finish the delivery... They get their settlement paid out to their wallet within 12 hours after completing that delivery. And that's attractive, uh, especially for drivers out there where, you know, access to their funds quickly is attractive. So we do a lot of things based around the quality of our driver network, because in our minds, having the best network will provide the best product and value to our partners and customers. Makes a lot of sense. Luke, where do people go to learn more if they want to give your app a try? They want to plug into your network. Please, please come visit us at freight.com. Um, if you want to register to ship with us, it's freight.app. And for all drivers out there, we'd love to have you. We've got, like I said, 15,000 here in the U.S. and we're looking to add more. So please come. Um, yeah, that's where you can find us. Well, hey, Luke, best of luck to you and the team. Uh, best of luck on your your bonding, your, your team leadership bonding experience this week. And uh, go kick some ass out there. Thanks for stopping by. Appreciate it. Duno, thanks for having me on. Thanks so much. Take, Take care. care. All right, everybody. Time to rate a little strap work. Let's see what we got today. Ooh, my little boys used to have a little car like that. It didn't make it all the way from uh, Massachusetts down here to uh, 
down here to Tennessee. But David Newell says, starting at 10 and deducting two points for each missing corner. Four, plus a ticket for improper load securement. Uh, Aaron Alte says, what's that guy doing with my son's car? The Logistics Inbox gives it a four out of 10. Our own Henry Byers gives it a 9.9. Todd Campbell, he just can't even compose himself. He's laughing. Uh, Autonomous Trucker says, National Lampoon Hall of Fame. Sal Mercagliano says, that sucker is not going to move. Justin Martin says, only strap the front. Now it's a tipping hazard. Shuby Dadu says, it's only, <laughs> it is only in compliance if there's a stuffed animal tucked in the driver compartment of the said strapped vehicle. Mike says, technically, it's illegal. It is rolling equipment, so it needs four individual points of contact in opposite directions. Mike is the kind of guy who would write you up in a semi-truck for not making your own bed. That's what I bet, Mike. <laughs> All right, let's bring on. That's it for Rate the Strap Work. It's time for Rate the Super Trucker. Let's bring up Justin Martin right now. I, I, love, I love everybody taking it, like, super seriously, like every little violation that we find on these, like, you know, stupid toy straps. Oh, yes. Yeah, the, the corner ones. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like, the awful strap works always do a thousand times better than, like, a good, like, yeah. actual good. Although you posted one that actually did pretty well, but I think it's because we used them sparingly. We actually did finally yeah. show, like, a good strap work in motion. There's there's some there's some diamonds in the rough out there. So, man, I'm hanging out with my family on Easter weekend, and I get a DM from a friend of ours on Twitter, um, Super Hustle, right? And he Great. says... And this is a private DM, so I don't want to read exactly what he wrote. But basically, it was like, hey, we're in a bad way. Our trucking company uh, just left us in a lurch. They, you know, they, we knew there's some financial issues, but now they just pulled the rug and they shut it down and we're, we're trapped. And here's this shutdown. Clarissa Haas, here's the official story. It says, Team Drivers for Com, sorry, Team Drivers for Crom X Inc. of Villa Park, Illinois say things were looking bleak when they were stranded in a Chicago area hotel for three days, more than a thousand miles from their home without any idea of when they were going to get a paycheck, when if fuel cars were on, any of that kind of stuff. Fortunately, Truckers Emergency Assistance Responders, that's TIER, helped this family out, this father and son team, to get back home. They've got a combined 24 years of driving experience, but they're also out about $3,000. Turns out this company, um, as according to last year, they had 15 power units and 16 drivers, but it looks like they've had a ton of inspections over the past 20 months. They had about 20 inspections um, six trucks have been placed out of service, and uh, our driver friend said they were down to about five trucks by the time this all this all came to roost. Tell me what you know here. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it was a very well-run business. I mean, they were team driving, so you know you would think with the kind of loads you can haul as a team, they should be you know raking in the money. But I don't know what kind of lanes this guy was traveling, so maybe the, the freight rates were just killing them. And to go from 15 units in October to just five today. I mean, it, it tells you it's something either, either they're blowing the money faster than they're earning it, or they're just completely mismanaging their equipment. Or they're just, plus, plus, close. plus they said it was, they were sitting in the shop a lot too. Well, that's you the know, thing. They, they, the probably working, they, they, they probably weren't running, running very good equipment to begin with. Yeah. Well, if you're not, the wheels aren't turning, you're not making money, especially yeah. in this rate economy right now. We've, you know, we've, we've beaten that dead horse. To, to death there must be a better way yeah, to and it, beat a dead horse it's also one thing when you know things out of your control you know take your business down but it's another thing to where you're leaving your guys stranded you have to take care of your employees you know if, if you've got somebody that's been driving for you not just once but twice these, these guys worked for them six months uh prior and then they came they came back so yeah you know that's the turnover in the in the trucking market but to just completely dismiss any of their concerns and say oh well you, you know sol you know good good luck guys uh, that's that's just the most scumbag move 
possible. Um, Clisfer, sorry, Clarissa did a really good job of digging into um, the other DOT numbers that they that they have on file. Um, so if you see them, if you see any listings for Bosco Cargo out of Evansville, Illinois, it's the same guy. Avoid him. He's a scumbag. Do not work for him. Do not do any business with him. Uh, right now they have one uh, power unit registered. So whoever that driver is, run. Do not walk away from these guys. Well, I mean, at least he got to spend Easter with his son. So, you know, at least they yeah. had that going for him. But this story is not unique just to to this company, though. These are a lot of these smaller carriers that a lot of times they don't get on our radar here on freightways. They don't make headlines because it's impacting 15 people. We don't know. We don't know anyone. No reporter yeah. even knew. And this happens all the time with the companies uh, watching. Have you what do you do in this situation? So you are at a hotel. You think you're driving the next morning and you get that you get that message that we have shut down. What's your next move? Uh, reach out to Tier. You know, yeah. it's a great organization. Uh, if if you're strapped for cash and you're a thousand miles from home, they're they're a great organization um, to get you back back home and start making phone calls. You know, you know, there's always somebody out there that needs drivers. Um, depending on where you live and what the freight situation is where you're at, you know, you, you can always find work. Hopefully, it's um, you know, the grass is greener on the other side in this situation. I really hope those guys uh, get taken care of. What about your equipment? What do you do with the the truck? You just throw the keys inside and lock the oh. door. And walk away. Yeah, well, yeah, because it sounds like they were stuck in the hotel, and the guy wasn't going to do him any favors. So, yeah, you know, you leave me out to dry. Here's your truck. Good luck. Wow. And you could could you be liable if someone broke in or something, or or, or no? You can just walk away scot free. Uh, it, it gets tricky because you you can have equipment abandonment on your record, but you know the, the owner of the company isn't trying to get you home. They're not paying for your fuel. They're not paying for your hotels. What else are you supposed to do? Interesting. Well, Justin, I don't know if you've ever gotten pulled over for this, but let's play this tape and we'll discuss. Say that again. Your bed has to be made by law. No. Hey, say, go ahead and take your, your book back. Say say that again. Take your book back. I'll provide you with the information on it. Don't worry. And you're gonna write me up on that too, ain't you? I need to see your uh, registration. You get you got my you took my book with you. Okay, your insurance card new as well. Yes, sir. Okay. You got it all with you. That's fine. I also need to see your. Uh, Medical cards on here? Yes, my medical cards on there. Every the bills, CDL. The so my bed has to be made. Um, he's just trying to get him on stuff here. By yeah. some law somewhere. Right, officer? I'll tell you what. I'll go back and I'll look it up. Yeah. I'll show it to you. How about that? And if my bed's not made, which my bed's not made, you going to write me up for that, officer? You going to give me your stuff? Yes, sir. I'm working on it. Yes, sir. I'm working on it right now. Hold on a minute. Oh, wait, let me make sure that's it. <laughs> I wonder, yeah. wonder what he almost passed him by accident. Surely you're not going to ride me up for my bed not being made off. Well, I think I think he might. So, look, <laughs> I was watching this this video, and these cops were in a car, and they're like, they pulled someone going three miles over the speed limit, and they go, that's adequate in Texas. Adequate to me means like the bare minimum where a law enforcement officer can use that as an excuse to escalate the situation to look for something else. And that almost seems like what was happening here. That seems really ticky tacky. Is that a normal violation? No, I've never heard of that in my life. Um, I have gotten some, you know, I don't want to say the word, but chicken S tickets um, in my time. And anytime the officer has to say, I got to look it up, I'll be right back. That tells you they're on like a, a fishing expedition. Most of these guys, they're writing tickets all day long, every day. They're writing the same kind of tickets. They know this stuff right off the top of their head. Um, the worst one I ever had was going to China Lake uh, Naval Weapon Facility in California. The local police department there, they park right outside the gate and they wait for trucks making the left turn from the traffic light into the gate. 
And if you're, uh, the tires on your trailer travel over the painted line in the road, that's a two hundred dollar ticket right there. And that's what they that's what they're looking for. The one oh. the one and only ticket I ever got in my fifteen years of driving was in California. Easiest two hundred dollars California ever made. Well, let's see here. Like as look, it sounds ticky tacky, but is there anything on the books? Michael Fitzgerald, safety first always. He said uh he was looking through it. There is an FMCSA regulation, three ninety three point seventy six sleeper birth said equipment. A sleeper berth must be properly properly equipped for sleeping. Uh, must include bed cloth and blankets, spring mattress, inner spring, uh, foam mattress. Mattress must be filled out with fluid or sufficient thickness. But this this all seems like this is so like a carrier can't send a driver out without a bed if it's your own truck. Like yeah. this is you can you can't like you can is the police protecting you from yourself if you have a crappy sleeping situation? No, no, and and. Most most guys, you know, if you're driving for another carrier and it's someone else's truck, a lot of guys use sleeping bags. You know, most guys don't keep like a, a bed sheet and everything on there unless it's their regular truck. So all that um, regulation is describing is what kind of equipment needs to be in the truck. It doesn't say anything about it needing to be made. Doesn't say what, another rumor we heard was like um, the bed sheets had to be white. You know, for yeah. any stupid reason. But no, no, it's it's literally just it needs a bed, it needs sheets. And that seems like time. clearly for to keep a the owner of a truck who's having someone else drive it comfortable. Mm-hmm. They have to like just like prisons have to provide a bare minimum bed. The the prison of your truck cab has to provide at least this bare minimum under regulation. Didn't even say it needs air conditioning. Just says it needs a bed with a mattress. Didn't. And it's not even like that great of a mattress. You know, they don't even have brand no, names no. or nothing. They're just like something here. Well, you know, sometimes you got to stop in the restaurant. Sometimes they're weirder than others. Like you ever been in one like this one with a teddy bear sitting out in the lounge? <laughs> that is weird. Most of your restrooms, like your public restrooms, it's all hard surfaces. So it's like easy to clean and like the, the smells don't linger. Yeah. So it looks fairly clean, you know, kudos. So, but it looks like it looks like someone's some grandma's bathroom. It doesn't look like a tr- other than like the commercial toilet paper. You wouldn't know that that's like a, a truck stop bathroom. You ever see this? You ever see the movie Gummo? Gummo, no. I, I believe it's Larry, like a director who did uh, Kids, Larry Clark. He made all these weird movies, or maybe that was Rennie Harlan. Either it was one of those directors who was making weird movies in the '90s. But it was this movie called Gummo, and in the movie Gummo, there's this kid eating spaghetti in a bathtub, and it's just like the grossest thing. There's certain things that you cannot do in a bathroom, like eat food while on the toilet or in the bathtub, and even like <laughs> a giant stuffed animal. It's like it's like the velveteen rabbit, except instead of smallpox, it's got poo pox all over it. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. That's oh, that's horrific. Well, some people here said it reminds me of the U-Line warehouse in Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. That has nothing in the guard shack but a mannequin wearing one of their uniforms. That sounds a little uh, <laughs> frightening. Someone else here says that's the corporate headquarters. None of the other warehouses have it. Oh, so I guess you miss out. He said if you're there next time, check out the two walking paths all around that complex. There's bronze animal sculptures all over. There's also a full-size moose and bear by the woods. Then uh, here's there. Went to a nowhere mom and pop truck stop in Iowa late at night around Halloween. Was focused on the turn and GPS leading me there. Get there and no one is there but me. Here's the kicker. The diesel sign had the last three letters on diesel not lit up. I stayed there for a little bit as die flickered back and forth. <laughs> that's that's some pretty good imagery. I the the weirdest bathroom I ever saw, I was in a small mom and pop mom and pop truck stop in California up near like Wairica or weed, I think it was right off of I-5. And 
there was a bathtub in the restroom there and they had a mannequin all dolled up in the bathtub. And I was just like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. I, I think at one time there was supposed to be like a pressure plate somewhere. So that if you step on it, the mannequin would like jump up and scare people, but they, 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 they got rid of it. Well, I don't know if these are scary, but these are what some users said were the worst ones. Uh, this guy said worst truck stop I've ever been to had to be the TA in Bordentown, New Jersey, that New Jersey, the TA is always a complete madhouse with drivers. Constantly tossing out their bags full of literal S and P bottles in the middle of the parking lot. Mm-hmm. Bathroom is always disgusting. Um, the people who work there are rude. This guy says the pilot in Richfield, Ohio, the place was literally designed by a three-year-old or someone who has no idea what they're doing. I hope they demolish it one of these days. Uh, BKDB doesn't like the pilot in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. She just says, Jesus F, what a cluster. And Caswell says, worst truck has to be the pilot. It's always the same person. Two people hate this one. It says, who makes a paid reserve spots a blind side back? <laughs> I'm surprised nobody mentioned the, the uh, TA in Gary, Indiana. That one was always a dump. Um, yeah, these places have to be run like like the military. You, you go to you can tell within five minutes going somewhere whether it's run really well or not. If, if management is up to the task and they, they keep everything nice and clean, it's a lot easier to maintain. But once you let it slide, it's really hard to reverse that trend. The most interesting encounter I've had in a bathroom was at an A&W in Baker, California, home to the world's largest thermometer. Uh, some, some guy's buddy was like in the toilet taking a dump and his buddy like, jump kicked the side wall of the stall that he was in and it all collapsed. It just all collapsed. Oh, oh this no. dude, is just, it was almost like a cartoon, you know, walking away with the newspaper <laughs> in front of his crotch. Um, but speaking of roadside art, they got the world's largest thermometer here. But over in, where is this? The Talus Dome. Where the hell is the Talus Dome located? In Canada. The Talus Dome in Canada. Some guy came across this thing and got trapped inside. Take a look at this video. So this is weird. Out for a run. I see this commotion with the firefighters, flashing lights. I pull up. Couldn't believe it. Some dude is stuck inside the Talus Balls. Look at this. Unre- How did he even get in? I guess he climbed in through the top. He squeezed in through some of the balls there. The ball's on that guy, and he couldn't get back out. <laughs> There's another video of him banging on it. You can tell they're hollow, so I wonder how much the whole thing weighs. I don't know. I wonder what he was trying to do in there, probably just on some drugs or something. There was a guy, uh, we did a story about a year ago about a guy whose his cell phone fell inside of a Stegosaurus sculpture, and like oh, he no. went into the leg to get it, and he fell inside the leg, and then they found him dead. Like four days later, entombed. Oh no! Inside the uh, <laughs> inside that thing. Probably the one time in history that dinosaurs actually killed a person. Probably, but you don't think? <laughs> oh well, yeah. There probably weren't many cavemen and, and dinosaurs around. Hey, before we send you home, what the truck is on TikTok? In case you didn't know, take a look at this. We got a ton of followers over there. It's FW What the Truck on there. You're gonna find uh, original TikToks and some show clips. We just had one on rates that people really like. That did what? Like three hundred. Yeah. And 80,000, getting the information to the people. Justin um, runs that thing. Go to FW What the Truck to pick up a copy of, uh, or pick up a copy. I don't know. Subscribe. That's what you do. <laughs> subscribe. We're at 18,001 now. So. Oh, yeah. It's, it's been, it's yeah. been grooving it's and cruising. What are you up to next, Justin? Where are you off to? Uh, or TikTok. We'll cover we'll cover more of these bankruptcies. More and more people are reaching out to us. All these companies, you know, in trouble right now. So, um, yeah, word's getting out. 
Word is getting out. It's getting tough out there. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us on What the Truck today. We'll be back Friday at noon Eastern time. You can catch the show on demand whenever you want by looking up What the Truck wherever you get your podcast or on Freightways YouTube channel. You can watch us in HD. Just look up Freightways YouTube, find What the Truck on there, download the Freightways TV app, follow us on Twitter at FW What the Truck or me at Timothy Dooner. Take care, don't be a stranger.